Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wellness Code Podcast. Today I will be speaking with a good friend of mine, Bronwyn Milkins, who is a registered psychologist and a PhD candidate at the University of Western Australia. In this episode, Bronwyn and I talk about the emotional challenges of completing a PhD thesis and some of the methods that we tried to help us on our journey. Hello Bronwyn, and thank you for joining me on the Wellness Code Podcast. We are here today to talk about the emotional challenges and our own personal experiences with completing a PhD. We recently finished writing our PhDs and today we would just like to share what we learned over the last few years while going through this process. Um, But to start things off, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how the decision came about to pursue a doctorate in psychology. Yeah, thanks for having me, Inez. It's very exciting that we've both recently finished our PhDs. Um, Mm -hmm. So my name is Bronwyn and we've been office buddies for a few years. Um, I'm also a registered psychologist, which came about during my PhD studies as well. And the decision to pursue a doctorate in psychology It wasn't so much a decision as much as a falling into the degree. I know that might be different to other people. I was 21 when I started my PhD in psychology, having just come out of honours and prior to that coming out of my undergraduate degree and prior to that coming out of high school. And I love learning and I did quite well in my honours and I was offered the opportunity and then was offered a scholarship and I thought, okay, can't see myself doing anything else right now and so I'll do the doctorate. Doctorate in psychology. Yeah. So that's a little bit, I would say that's a little bit different from the experience that I had. Yeah, it would be. Um, My my journey has been a bit more chaotic and I would say a bit more um, up and down, especially because part of my education took place in the US. Mm and having my undergraduate psychology done at um, University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And then I moved around quite a bit. I worked a little bit. I worked in San Diego. Um, I did research in San Diego and then I relocated to Western Australia. I came to Perth and I decided to pursue a doctorate in, in psychology. I think it was a it was a long-term goal. It's always mm. something that I wanted to do. It's just I took a little while to get there. In the end, I ended up here at the University of Western Australia. Just before this podcast episode, you mentioned to me um, some of the stats that maybe... Uh, that you came across and in particular stats that have to do with completing a PhD. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about those um, those stats in particular. Yeah. So in Australia, it's you see a PhD degree advertised as three years. And when you get a scholarship, you do get a scholarship for a PhD, it goes for uh, three years with extension of six months possibly Um, but when you look at the statistics for people who have completed a PhD there's a few different studies that I found in one Australian study they found that 51% of students actually complete within four years so that's exceeding the scholarship 
and 70 percent mm-hmm. complete after six years so that gives you 70%? yeah wow yeah so that gives you an indication of how long it might actually take of course this differs between disciplines so this particular study they found that commerce phds finish faster um and english and literature phds take longer science phds which psychology in australia fits within uh they take about 4.4 years and that fits in with the median time that this study found, which was 4.4 years to complete a PhD. In another study from New Zealand, they they actually have better. So uh, they had 83% submitted their thesis for examination in this cohort of students they looked at, and they only had 17% withdraw. So Mm. that compares to the US in another study, they've said that between 40 and 60% of students who begin their doctoral studies do not continue until grad till graduation. Wow, so 83% submitted their thesis for and 17% withdrew. Mention what they did differently or why, you know, what was the 17%, why the 17% withdrew and what could have been some of the factors that allowed for the other 83% to submit? Yeah, um, well, they provided factors, I guess, contributing to, they said that this is quite a high submission rate compared to other countries. And they've said that what contributed to that was recruiting quality candidates, close monitoring during candidature, uh, provision of research training, a vibrant research culture, and they said a personal performance coach, which is something that I don't know if they're, wow. yeah, and they that differs to the next, say, high-quality supervision. So a personal performance coach seems to actually differ to a supervisor, which is the standard thing in Australia. So perhaps there's this additional kind of person who also assists PhDs. Um, and they said that there was also funding incentives to candidates who submit in under four years. So all of these factors, they think, contributed to the higher submission rates in New Zealand of 83% submitting mm. their theses for examination. The PhD journey, it, it's a difficult one. It's especially when you're doing a PhD, it gets everything else that happens in your life, it does impact on your PhD. Mm. Um, whether it's running a study or, um, and in particular, your writing. Mm. So it's quite sensitive in, in that way. Uh, and we have to manage a lot of different stressors and emotions. Mm. So as I was reflecting back on my experience, I thought it would be really helpful to talk about some of the things that come up and how they can really impact on your um, on your progress and your ability to complete a PhD. Mm. But I think what happens a lot of times is that we get wrapped up in some of these emotions mm. and in particular procrastination. Mm. So let's just pause for a minute <laughs> <laughs> and talk about procrastination. Um, Look, for me, this was a big, big problem. Mm. It's a problem that I didn't address till very late into my uh, PhD writing journey, especially. Um, I bet a lot of people listening to this, PhD students, um, if you're listening, you may identify with this. Um, I was oblivious to my procrastination. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I was on, I kind of, 
knew what was happening, but I never took a minute to really address it or to look into it from sort of an objective point of view and um, see how it was impacting on me. And then what I did learn about procrastination is, you know, I thought, oh, I'm so lazy and I'm just allowing myself to be lazy. What I didn't realize is that procrastination can be a short-term emotion regulation strategy. Mm. So, and it doesn't help you address the very problems that you are trying to prevent mm. or face or fix. And it gets in the way of you getting onto the next step. Yeah. So I was using procrastination as a way to regulate my own emotions mm. and it worked and it worked really good yeah like it worked well yeah um because but... i procrastinated i moved on to something else some sort of a flashy other activity that i was doing such as organizing my excel file yeah up the variable names and i got nowhere yeah because at the end of the day you just need to get to a point where something is clear and organized to a point, yeah. but then you need to move on. Yeah. Whereas I just fluffed around in activities that really got me nowhere. And so this was a huge problem for me. Mm. It was really late into the writing process or I would say pre-writing process where I was, um, where I became aware of how I felt Mm. And I started paying attention to what I was doing when I was procrastinating and what it was doing to the critical work that needed to be done and how I was pushing my critical work to the side and making room for other flashy activities, which regulated my emotions, my negative emotions. Um, and I started doing a bit of a diary work, making notes. I remember initially when I started to actually have to face the writing process, mm. I just sat in front of the screen. So I logged out it, out of everything. I would put my phone into the drawer mm. and I just sat in front of the screen. Maybe I had a file, a Microsoft Word file, just a blank page in front of me. And this is what happened. And I just sat there and I observed what was happening for me. And then I started writing, um, how do I want to be? And how do I want to feel? And um, what do I want to sort of accomplish that week? Yeah. Yeah, just sat with my super uncomfortable negative emotions. Um, And that's, and it was a game changer. Honestly, Mm. it changed everything for me. But I don't know, um, you might have had an entirely different experience with this. Oh, some things are similar, some things are a bit different. Even as you're speaking, just then having that experience of sitting with the uncomfortable emotion of not doing this thing and having to sit with it, I definitely experienced that. Um, So when I was addressing my procrastination, I kept a log, I kept a log on mine. And I, because what I kept on doing was tracking my time. And I realized that I wasn't doing my PhD. And it would be a disappointment to me every week, I'd have to be like, I didn't do it this week again, I didn't do it this week again. And so eventually, I got so frustrated with myself. Um, and I was like, fine, I'm going to work on it 30 minutes a day. 
and I'm going to try and do that. And I actually wrote into my log. I was like, I hate this. I hate, I hate this. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to just do it anyway. I do the stupid 30 minutes a day. And mm-hmm. I had to sit with that discomfort. And I, again, I, I put everything away and I had to look at the screen and actually do it. And it was very discomforting. Um, before that, I guess like my procrastination came from, uh, I think, uh, low, low self-esteem about myself during the PhD because um, PhD is so hard to be good at. It's And I guess as an undergraduate, like people who get into PhD programs, they're usually quite good at university. So, you know, they get the high marks, they'll get the, you did fantastic on this. Whereas with a PhD, you don't get those kind of bursts of reward um, saying you did this great from other people. Or I guess even that internal sense of competence, um, it was very hard for me to get that internal sense of competence as well. Like I'm doing better because you would constantly get heaps of feedback and have to be like, oh, I have to actually rewrite this whole chapter. So oh, for another eighty comments. Yeah, yeah. So for me, um, the PhD became very unfulfilling, and I, I literally could not get my self worth from my PhD because um, I'm very intrinsically motivated, and I think that's what helped me finish the PhD. But I've always been able to be good at something if I put my mind to it and I work at it and I take the small steps. And for a PhD. This was something that no matter how hard I worked at it, I felt like I couldn't be good at it and that people were not recognising that I was I was getting better. And for me, I felt like I wasn't getting better. And so I procrastinated on it by filling up my cup, my self-esteem cup with other things, other things in my life. Um, so for me, like stopping the procrastination had to, I guess it was partly like I can work at this and I can it was being like, what do I want to feel proud of at the end of the day? And it was slowly filling up my self-esteem cup with feeling proud of, it was changing changing it to being like, I'm proud of myself for having worked on it today. And I can feel good about myself for having worked on it today. Um, and really, I guess, backing myself in that way, which was really, really, really difficult for me. Um, so you really, I really felt like I had to be my own cheerleader to stop the procrastination um and yeah I did that through weekly reviews about what I did the previous week what I didn't get done and my plan to do it this week and what I wanted to get done I also tracked the amount of days that I did for 30 minutes or more in a tracking app and I've still got the data but I think I ended up doing it for like 130 days or something for at least like that was my my biggest streak and then I um like might have missed a day here and there but but once I built the habit it was pretty consistent and I felt good about myself um so it was like retraining myself to feel good about myself from doing it rather than not doing it Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah it is so writing a phd is absolutely um a new habit formation Mm. exercise uh, where it's you're having to focus for longer periods of time. Mm. You're having to write for longer periods of time. Maybe not necessarily longer periods of time, but with more consistency. Mm. And I suppose the added layer of a project that's much longer and it's hard to um, hard to gauge your timeline as well yeah whereas you might have an assignment it's end of the semester and by the time you get to um 
let's say your final year of undergraduate studies, you sort of know what to expect. Mm. You get into the swing of things. Um, every semester you get a bit better about organizing yourself yeah. and having a perception of how long it will take you to do something. Mm. One thing that I realized is that um, the lack of the confusion and lack of clarity is that mm. I wasn't sure how long it would take me to exactly. do something. Yeah. How long will it take me to figure out these stats? Mm. How long will it take me to write this up? Oh, yeah. And every week something new would come up yeah. and you would think, wait, I've never done this before. I'm going to have to figure out how to write this up. I'm going to have to look up millions of small details on how to run the data. How, what is the interpretation? What does this mean? And how do I translate this in a way that's going to make sense? And again, you're translating this and it's maybe takes three sentences, a paragraph. Mm. So, and coming up against that, oh, I would just absolutely do everything but that. Uh, yeah. Um, and I'm not sure whether it's not that I would hate the process. It's not that we hate doing the stats. Mm. No, I, I actually we, enjoyed doing it once I got into it. Like I enjoyed doing it. Learning something yeah. new. Yeah. So, but it's like, what is this uncomfort about? And it's having the stamina and the patience yeah. to stick with something long enough mm. um, to to keep doing. Yeah, I think um, and, it like yeah. the the research, like when I was reading the papers, they also talked about something called pluralist, pluralistic ignorance, which is um, thinking that you're the only one experiencing this. So in the situation <laughs> that you're describing, I would I would because of the uncertainty I would be like great I can do this within a week and then when I didn't do it within a week things always took me longer yeah. than I had planned I'd be like what's wrong with me like why can't I do this why is this taking longer and I'd be like it must be me like I must be the incompetent one um so because you don't know how long it's taking other people yeah. through it um so you assume that in my case at least I assumed that I was the one who was wrong um so it's I guess it's like negative thought processes coming into it as well um, and jumping to conclusions. Yeah, you'll have a lot of, or you may experience some negative thoughts around this. I know I did. Mm. Um, doing the silent sitting at my desk um, has helped me notice some of these mm. thoughts mm. and I started writing things down. Yeah. I really wanted to know whether this would work. So mm. it's like I'm doing a bit of a personal sort of experiment there as well. Mm. I started writing things down. Uh, I started observing my thoughts. I started doing mindful, mindful um, meditation every day at noon mm. as much as possible to pause and to just observe, to observe the nervous energy in my belly and to stay with that. Mm. Um, For me, and- it was um, getting getting contradictory evidence. So because... Um, I wish I, I wish I could be better at mindfulness. I really like your approach, and I, I wish like mm-hmm. I I had done that. Um, I tried the getting getting evidence. So I was active on Twitter for a bit, and I connected with a lot of other PhD students. I also read a lot of blogs about PhD online, and I realized that a lot of people were experiencing similar struggles. So that helped me realize that it wasn't me as a person who was faulty. That this was just a difficult project that I'd never encountered before and that it was okay to feel that this was hard 
and to struggle mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. So um, with the time that we have left, perhaps we can talk about some of the methods yeah. that we have tried and used and um, found to be, found to be, you know, quite helpful. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I've already mentioned it earlier, but I reviewed what I did every week for a year. So I kept a log of that and it helped make sure that I was keeping on track so it helped me identify the barriers as well so occasionally I would say I didn't get much work done this week because I was working at my job and how did that impact my PhD progress Um, and then I'd come up with ways to get around that so that really helped me it also really helped me celebrate my own successes so it kind of comes back to the relishing small progress so in my weekly review I would say stuff like yay, I submitted the chapter this week to my supervisors and I'd be really happy about that. So it was, a I guess, a weekly celebration of me as well. Uh, another thing I did was, I guess, identify how I work best. So for me, I'm a morning person. I have all my energy in the morning and then it peters out by about 2 p.m. Um, so I knew that if I wanted to do the hard stuff that I needed to do it in the morning and then I might do some uh, I guess, easy data entry or something in the afternoon. So I, I broke up my tasks that way. Very good. Mm. Yeah. If we're keeping track of things, I think if you're feeling uncomfortable about keeping track of things and actually going back mm. to see uh, what it is that you did or didn't do, if you're uncomfortable about doing this, take take notice of that. Yeah, because that in itself is really telling. Mm. If if you're opposed to keeping track, or um, you keep track but then don't really uh, compare mm. what's actually been done and what hasn't been done, that in itself is um can be quite um informative Mm. and can tell you a lot about where you are in your in your journey because for me it was really difficult yeah i would refuse to go back to the week prior it would just feel so uncomfortable yeah and once i was willing to look at things on a sunday and come back to it on a monday morning i felt that progress was being made yeah, yeah, me too. And it was really uncomfortable for me as well. And I, I think when I looked back at what I didn't do, once I had, I guess, calmed down, I would be like, well, what is it that I need to actually get this done? Because it still needs to be done and it's not getting done. Mm-hmm. So often it would be like, I need to ask my supervisor a question or I need to get talk to somebody else in order to work out how to approach this. So usually I found that the reason why things weren't getting done would be because I wasn't sure of how to approach it or there was a decision to be made and I didn't know how to make that decision. And so mm-hmm. to make that decision, I might have needed to talk to my supervisors or just consult with another student. Um, so, like, I guess sitting with discomfort, you can learn a lot from it. Absolutely. Um, and, again, that goes, that goes back to procrastination yeah. and just those negative emotions that get in the way totally. and really keep us stuck in one spot and we really need to keep moving as much as possible mm. which is why having some sort of a plan or a sustainable method 
that identifying something that works best for you, mm. um, such as, you know, working in the morning. Mm. Some people could be night owls. So some of the work might be done at night. Yeah. I did a lot of work at night, oh, really? um, especially because, you know, I had a child mm. sort of in the middle of all of this. And a lot of times I would say, oh, my working hours are between, you know, 8 and 11 p.m. once she goes to bed. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So having to work at night and what, you know, what needed to happen, whether it was um, indulging in a really nice tea and that would have been my cue. So the way I would get myself up and out of the seat and out of the comfort zone is I would go and make a cup of tea Mm. and that making the cup of tea and then going and sitting at my desk. So pairing things up in order to help me, anything to help me build a new habit. Yeah. The same thing with writing. Um, if I came into the office, turning everything off and then just having no distractions. Yeah. Uh, and slowly over time, it's, again, you're building a habit. Yeah. And then it got easier and easier. Coming into the office, I would log onto my computer and within 10 minutes, I was into it. Yeah. So meaning I was immersed in my writing within 10 minutes. Yeah, that's great. Whereas before it started off, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but at times I think I would have wasted up to three hours. Wow. And I don't know where that time went. That's how bad my procrastination was. And I would be distracted by shiny things. Yeah. And it's three hours into the day. Finally, I'm writing something. But you can see how that's not productive. That's not sustainable. No. And during those three hours, I'm distracted by shiny other activities mm. while feeling extremely anxious. Oh, because wow. I'm not doing what I'm yeah. doing. Oh, my goodness. But it's so, like you can't, like, get yourself away from it. So it's like you're sitting there feeling so anxious, but you're like, I just can't move out of this. I just can't move. I was literally paralyzed at times. That's mm. how it felt. Oh. So slowly over time, that the amount of time that it took me to get immersed into writing decreased. Yeah. So within 10 minutes of coming into the office, you know, I would be onto it. And I'd be immersed. Mm, That's a big achievement. Oh, and then noticing how nice that felt. Yeah. So I would encourage anyone to continue to keep um, taking notes on how you're feeling Mm. so that you can notice the shift in your mood and how that anxiety dissipates and what impact it can have on your ability to to write yeah so removing distractions is a big big yeah um Um, they was the same for me actually it's funny that you mentioned the tea because mine is that i use the pomodoro technique a lot and um i had an uh, a download you can get free ones on your phone or you can use one that is tied in with your internet browser i used a software and the pomodoro technique is that you write for or you do a task for 25 minutes take a five minute break times by four and when you reach the end of four Pomodoros, then you take a 20 minute break. And so for me, my habit building was I'd open up my Pomodoro, I'd put my headphones on and open up Spotify. And once I had the music on, I'd hit the Pomodoro button and I was gone. And as soon as I did, yeah. And as soon as I did 25 minutes, I felt so much better. I was just like, no, got to start, got to start. And so I was actually anxious to get started. Like once the habit built up. Yeah. It's probably underutilized 
little tip or technique mm. is to find something that you really enjoy and try and pair that up with yeah uh, with the activity in the afternoon it could be a cup of tea or it could be a cup of coffee go yeah. out for a walk yes refill your coffee come back to your desk and just um sit with that a bit mm. and pair up an activity that you love we just getting started yeah it's always just getting into it honestly um if you can find a way to shift your attention mm. from whatever it is that you're doing that's distracting you mm. and placing that attention onto the task at hand you will make some progress Absolutely. in that particular day mm. and that habit will keep building so removing distractions yeah um so whether it's paying your water bill or your electricity mm. or the phone or coming back to a text message just either address that at some point in time allocate an afternoon where you just do that yeah um but really be protective of of your writing time yeah um which then helps you avoid long periods of stagnation when we avoid having to write or do certain stats it's really hard to even remember what it is that you were doing oh that's the worst thing yeah um, um, the, the analysis and now you have to dig up the notes it's much easier if you can keep this thing going rather than doing a full stop uh yeah it's um, the worst I did that and I think I took like six months I think I had like two periods of six months where I didn't do anything on thesis and then I'd have to write in my log I'd have to be like okay the next two weeks is me just working out where I'm up to it's such a waste of of time if you can actually just avoid the stagnation it would be so much better um and then you curse you you curse your past self as well because you didn't leave yourself enough notes to know what was happening and there's all sorts of negative emotions that come with that yeah not enough notes there's actually you can never have too many no you can't so if you really like taking notes if you like notebooks if you like track changes whatever that might be oh yeah Mm -hmm. leaving notes is um will save you a lot of time yeah quite possibly uh if not i'm not saying it definitely will mm. but it has the potential to save time uh you can also record just audio files yeah make, leaving a note for yourself yeah i think i've recorded um also how to run certain stats yes if they're quite complex you can just take a recording of how you're doing something so that's that a good idea yeah, how you can quickly come back to that, mm. uh, which kind of ties me into the other tip, which is working with other colleagues mm. that have um, that have overcome sort of similar challenges or having colleagues that you can dis- exchange ideas with and they can be your sounding board. This is um, particularly helpful when you are running stats and you just want to be certain of of the methods that you are using mm. or exchange ideas of whether there are better ways to do this. Sometimes people have shortcuts. Sometimes yeah. people have, you know, saved little macros yeah. or um, code that you can quickly use in SPSS or in the Excel file or even Microsoft Word. Yeah. So this is where it's helpful to really connect with people genuinely yeah. Um, yeah. and form these relationships and friendships where they can... Um, quite frankly, I mean, save you time. Yeah. 
Um, it's so true because even during my thesis, um, there were software updates. So I mean, new software came out. So for instance, with statistics, I used one particular statistics package when I started my PhD. And then some newer ones came out that I wasn't aware of that I only became aware of through colleagues. And that allowed me to conduct particular analyses um, better than the first statistics package I used. So there was a big benefit of staying in the community um, just to find out that stuff. Absolutely. So community is a big thing. Mm. And I think la the last thing is um, venting. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's okay just sometimes to let it go, to complain, to let people know how you feel, yeah. to let them know you're struggling, to let them know when it's when feedback has been really painful. Yeah to let them know when you've missed deadlines or um, and of course if you feel safe to do so and I hope that there is at least that one person where you feel um, emotional safety um, and you feel that it's okay to share um, how you're struggling yeah honestly. I feel it's, like it's it's so much easier when you can be honest about how you're feeling even if it's just to particular safe people I was like in in the final years I think that was a difference I think I, I did pretend that everything was okay for the first few years but in the final years if people asked me how PhD was going and depending on how I was feeling at the time I might be like I'm hating PhD right now I really hate it I hate mm -hmm. it so much um and I, I wouldn't vent it. I'd probably just stop there. But there would be other people who I'd be like, I tried so hard to write this chapter and now I've gotten a lot of feedback, which essentially means a rewrite. Um, it was so much easier when, when I could actually be honest about how it was going. You know, it's almost like it, it, venting is about releasing releasing that emotional yeah. emotional strain. So yes. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a whole science behind that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> And it's okay. It's okay to, to, to it's okay um, to not like your PhD at certain points of mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. It's okay to struggle, um, and it's okay to reach out for resources and support. And um, I also think that it's absolutely okay to make whatever might be the best decision for you at that point. Yeah. Whether it's to continue, whether it's to say, you know what, I don't think I want to come. I don't think I want to do a PhD. I think I want to do something else. And you know what? I think that's okay too, mm. because it's it's all about what you think is best for you mm. and what you want to focus on. Mm. So it really is okay. And um, at the end of the day, my hope is um, for people that are struggling or going through this process is that they reach out and they have access to the resources that they need that will really support them in the needs that they're having and to increase the chance of them succeeding and you know um achieving whatever goals they really set for for themselves mm. um because it's it can be a lonely journey and it can be a long journey so having a conversation around this and um supporting our colleagues yeah um, and acknowledging that it um it's an achievement and being supportive when we can i think that was one of the most important things is feeling socially supported by friends and colleagues yeah which honestly has made it 
possible for for me to to finish yeah um, and and like uh, to add to that as well like uh, during the final years of my PhD uh, there were circumstances which meant that I I didn't have access to the the lab and the people within my lab um, yeah. and so for me um, it was quite isolating and I really do feel like that negatively impacted my PhD. But what I did to help alleviate that was that I joined a writing group. So every university, they should have a PhD writing group, either one set up by the university or there might be informal ones that you could actually join. So if you don't have an office at uni, because um, a lot of PhD students don't, they don't have offices at uni, it's, it's a bit of a privilege to have one. And if you don't, then come to campus and join a writing group or there might be online writing groups that you can join as well. Either way, it's a really good way for connecting with your peers and colleagues. That's a really wonderful suggestion, Bronwyn. Thank you. That's right. Yeah, was there anything else that um, that we missed in this conversation today? Um, I mean, okay, we could probably talk about this for a few more hours. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many aspects and different ways of looking at it. Um, but I feel like, I feel like it's enough for now. (laughs) Thank you for joining me today and congratulations, Bronwyn. This was um, a huge achievement. Thank you, Ines. And I'm so proud of you as well for finishing your PhD. It's a huge achievement and it's awesome. And I'm so proud of you that you got your procrastination down and you did it. It's amazing. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Wellness Code Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. As always, you can head over to inespanzig.com to check out the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.